fell into place. The Lord was really gracious to us, had some time off, had the opportunity finances to go. So we decided, let's go to Tennessee. It's God's country, so why not go there? It's beautiful. So the week before, <laughs> stop shaking your head, because Oklahoma's definitely not. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, so we, we packed up our, our four-year-old and two-year-old. We said, hey, let's go to Tennessee. We, we drove it. That was insane, and we'll never do it again. But it, it sounded like a really good idea at the time. So we packed up. We went kind of on a whim. Uh, had a really good time the week before Christmas. So we're there, we're having fun, and about Thursday that week, week my son gets sick, just lots of vomiting, um, and so then it made its way through all of us. Uh, we delayed our trip by a day so my daughter could get better, and so kind of a 24-hour bug, you get through it, you're done. We thought, well, we're good. So we waited till Monday to leave, the uh, week of Christmas, and she waits so she has a fever. We're like, oh, this is odd, because none of us had a fever. It was like... Sorry, honey, we got to go. <laughs> it's like, whatever. So she gets in the car. And, and you know children's Tylenol, on the back of it, it says you can give it every four hours, right? We followed that rule all the way home. Because <laughs> about every four hours she'd wake up, I hate driving long trips. I never want to drive a long trip again. I'm like, oh, poor girl. So we get home, we go to the pediatrician, and she tested positive for flu and strep throat. Oh, I'm the worst dad ever. Um, oh, my goodness, poor girl. And then considering all, we're like, you did amazing. And then the flu made its way through all of us Christmas week. So, yeah. Um, and then when the snow hit, we decided, hey, let's go, let's go up to the snow. And so we pull off the side of the road up on 87, just uh, south of, of Payson. We're taking pictures. And uh, my wife has snow on her jacket, so I went to wipe it off, and my ring just... So I lost my wedding ring. Yay! So, um, but, it, you know, I needed to get a new one. It was kind of a little too big. but And we, got, we, we, we found a metal detector from our friends. We went back up there, spent like an hour, while our kids were locked in the car going, You'll be okay! And we, keep, <laughs> we keep looking for it. We never found it. So if you're driving up 87, mile marker 214, you can pull over, take a look around for me. I'd appreciate that. Um, but I, I don't say all that to feel bad for me. We actually had an incredible holidays. I love this time of the year. It was very fun, very memorable for us. Um, but I, I look forward to today. I look forward to a new year. I love to reflect, um, and, and we're going to do that today. So as we begin, uh, I'd like to pray uh, for us as we dive in. So, Father God, um, man, I, I certainly, certainly um, love you more than my own life. And uh, I am grateful that in you we have somewhere to place our trust, our hope, <laughs> our, our life, and, and it's effective and it works. And so, Father, we have a great hope this morning. We have a great security in you. And so, so may that become evident as we look at your text. May, may the next year be more about that than ourselves. And so, Father, we ask that you would come in this moment as we began our service with, we kind of pray alongside David this morning and we say, oh, could we taste and see you this morning? Because we as your children, we don't need another great sermon. What we need is we need to hear from you. We need to taste and see your goodness this morning. So may you fill us with your presence. And may your word uh, do its job. Do the, do the work it can only do. And that's radically change us. Father, you know how unfit um, oftentimes we feel in this moment to present your truth. So I pray you push me out of the way. 
and you will speak this morning. So, Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I love this time of the year. I love the, the holiday season as well as most of you probably do as well. And, and mostly because of pumpkin pie is really why I love this time of the year. Because I, I, I don't eat it the rest of the year because you can't really find it. So we can wait till the holidays and then I consume large amounts of pumpkin pie. It's the best. But more specifically, I love this time of the year. And even more specifically, the new year because it's okay to be reflective. I tend to be very reflective, and oftentimes it kind of drives my wife crazy because I'm always like, well, how does it make you feel, (laughs) you know? Well, I wonder, let's think about that. Let's pick through it. And I really enjoy that process, and I think it's healthy for us. So for one part of our life, one part of the, the year, the whole world gets reflective, and I think it's good for us. And I think we should do that. So with the new year upon us, and resolutions at the forefront of everyone's mind, what should one resolve to do better as a result of the mistakes of 2014? And what could we desire to be better at in 2015? I did a quick Google search to see the top 10 resolutions for 2015. So if you'll, you'll play along with me here, which you don't really have a choice because you're sitting there. Here they are. And you'll know most of them. Number one, right? Lose weight or get fit, right? That's always the number one thing, and that always makes it in. The second one, quit smoking. That's probably a good one. Number three, no stress or be happy. All right. Four, spend time with family. Five, quit alcohol. That's probably a good one. Uh, Number six, improve finances. That sounds pretty good. Number seven, achieving good grades. Are working harder. Some people put it that way. Number eight, settle down. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't married men that they were polling here. But anyway, um, <laughs> settle down. I don't know. Stop acting stupid. Maybe that's it there. I don't know. Uh, number nine was improve self or love myself. Uh, and number ten was volunteer to help others. Yeah, all right, pretty decent, right? I mean, obviously, this is kind of the, the general public, but I would venture to say that these items probably top some of our list. And if you're super spiritual, like most of you in this room are, you probably squeeze in Bible reading, evangelism, mission trip, or things like that, right? I mean, all great things, but I wonder if there's a better focus. I wonder if, if there's a, a way to place our attention on something more specific. And place our energy into something that actually is worthy of our time. Is there a resolution that trumps all resolutions? Well, I hope to answer that today with a resounding yes. And hopefully in that process we can simplify this resolution thing. Maybe we can direct our energy and our our focus towards something of importance. And for that end, why not turn to poetry, right, for reflection? Right? No. (laughs) I mean, poetry is kind of designed to do that, right? It's it's a reflective process. It's designed to evoke our imagination, and it makes us feel the weight of its subject. And that's exactly what the Psalms do. 
When you spend any amount of time, sometimes you scratch your head and go, what is that saying? And oftentimes you go, yes, that is what I'm feeling. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalms 34, but just kind of a word of note. What about the Psalms? What about this gargantuan book that finds its place in the middle of our Bible that, that consumes a lot of the, of the space? Well, is it credible? Well, just two things of note, just to kind of perk your interest. And if you're a real nerd out there, this may, this may really get you going. Um, well, there's a lot of external evidence that supports kind of a 3rd century B.C. date for the book of Psalms. If you don't understand what that means, that means it's old. I mean, so much so, this means that Jesus himself would have sung these songs. An interesting another fact is Acts 1333, when it referenced a, a scripture in Psalms chapter 2, it actually calls the reference the second song. So even the New Testament writers, the New Testament churches, looking at this so much so, is it so fixed, so fixed in their time together, it already has the title of Psalms 2. So this supports an extremely early date for the Psalms. They were considered a part of the scripture from an early time on. So what does that mean for us? It fed the church. The book of Psalms is not just something that found its way there. It fed the early church. They looked at it. They ate of it. They tasted of it. They chewed on it. They talked about it. They recited it. They sung it. Jesus himself would have looked at the Psalms. We can hold it up with great confidence and we can read it to actually be changed. There's a lot here. And when I, early on, when I became a believer, I found myself as a teenager reading it often. Because once again, as I mentioned earlier, there's something about these words and something about the fact that whatever emotion that I'm feeling, I can find it here. And it's healthy reflection. It's reflection that leads to something better, as we're going to discover well, what about Psalms 34, our particular text this morning? Psalms 34, we'll kind of cover the first eight verses, but it's a, a brilliant poem, a brilliant psalm. I would encourage you to spend the whole 2015 reading it every day. It would be a great pro- process for you. But what about this particular psalm? Well, it begins with what we call a subscript. Now, a lot of psalms actually begin with that. And it doesn't get a lot of play or a lot of attention. I don't really know why, because it's such an early date of this book that these were fixed. They were there. Well, this particular subscript gives us some information about how did this poem come to be. How did this uh, 22 lines of poetry come to be? Well, it says this. It's of David. David is our author. When it came about when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. That's interesting. And I think the, you can say like he changed his countenance, he changed his behavior, changed his face. He acted crazy. So much so that, that Abimelech said, <laughs> get away from this guy. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where we find this story. Now, any astute reader of the scripture, if later on you'll check my reference, which you should do, 
You should always check references as we do that. You don't have to turn there now. But 1 Samuel 21, we see this story. But any astute reader will see very quickly that Abimelech is not named in that story. It actually goes by a different name. And I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Akish. It's like King Akish. Now, how do we make sense of this? Well, some commentaries look at it this way. Oftentimes, there was a name given to kingship of, of 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 dynasty. But each of those individuals has specific names. So a very easy explanation is maybe Abimelech is the specific name of the individual. But nonetheless, what we need to worry ourselves with this morning is that this poem, this psalm is birthed out of a massive event in David's life. Kind of weird and awkward, and, and, and I believe it's probably referencing the first Samuel. So if you have some time, read through that. But David changes his behavior so much so that the king leaves him alone and doesn't kill him. Now we have our psalm. Now we have the reflection of David upon this event. Maybe somewhat similar as we reflect on the events of 2014. What does David do as a result of this? Well, the the structure of the point, and I'm going to give some really random details, and you're probably thinking, just get on with it. But for some of us, this might, hey, that's kind of a cool fact. This particular poetry, and it's very common in Hebrew poetry, that they take the Hebrew alphabet, they take each letter of the alphabet, and they start a line. And they go this way, which is actually appropriate for you, so they go this way. And that's what they do. They take each letter of the alphabet, and they go through, and they write a different line with each letter. And there's no particular reason why. Some people believe maybe it helped with memory. To memorize. Maybe it, it helped to deal thoroughly with the subject because you know, well, I've got this many letters. I've got I've to really reflect on this. But nonetheless, that's how the poem is structured. The first three verses, we see a, a praise. Praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verses 4 through 7 gives the reason why David says praise the Lord. Verse 8, I believe to be the climax as we read at the beginning of our service together. And then 9 through 22 gives us instructions. A lot of wisdom in this text as well. So it's actually a thorough reflection of someone's life. And an incredible model for you and I, for the church on meal, for individuals as followers of Christ to, to look at. A very thorough reflection of these events in his life. So now we're through all the nitty gritty and you're like, yes, let's move on. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will bless the Lord at all times. Well, the statement, I will. See, you have to see that as a determination to do something. It's almost structured kind of like a vow. It's almost kind of like a resolution. It actually is a resolve that David looks at this event and the first reflection that comes out of this event is, I will bless the Lord. I am determined from this point forward that I will bless the Lord. Will bless the Lord. That seems kind of odd to us, right? I mean, how does one bless God? I mean, he needs nothing more. How is it that we bless him? Well, one commentator defines it this way. To acknowledge someone in his position of power. 
So oftentimes when bless is attributed to we're going to bless God, it's almost more of an acknowledgement of his authority. An acknowledgement of his power. Acknowledgement of his position in my life. Or maybe more simply put, a door with bended knees. I mean, isn't that appropriate? As we reflect on the Lord and what he has done for us to say, I will bless. I will adore on bending knee at all times. At all times, I will take a posture of acknowledging his authority, acknowledging his position in my life and in the church and in this world. Well, that's a healthy resolve. Well, that's a healthy conclusion as we look back over events in our life, especially as believers in this room, right? Thank you. I will, a determination to do something, a resolve to acknowledge. I mean, if we just stopped there and we made that a regular practice, oh my gosh, we'd be light years ahead of where we're at today. I know I would. Light years ahead of where I'm currently at in my walk with the Lord. I will take it to the bank if that helps you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually. Do you see this language? If you don't, I'll say it to you. At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is not a one-year resolve. There's a sense that whatever comes, whatever comes, whatever comes, and whenever it comes, I will bless the Lord. I will acknowledge his authority. I will adore him. I'm bending knees. At all times. Continually, when I was when I was doing a Google search looking at uh, resolutions for this year, there was a real funny one, and I don't know exactly how it was worded, but it said, "I resolve in 2015 to do what I said I was going to do in 2014, <laughs> based upon the commitments I made in 2013, based upon the reflection I did in 2012." <laughs> I was like, oh, "That's so brilliant! That's so perfect, right?" So maybe some of us just resolved to do what we said we were going to do, you know? But this doesn't seem to be just a flippant thing. Oh, well, everyone's doing it, and, and i got to come out with a list of New Year's resolutions. This seems to be a reflection based upon a significant event, and more importantly, based upon a significant person. Significant person. An interesting technique that, that poetry in Hebrew literature is they, they, they did this thing called parallelism. You're like, that's the weirdest thing you ever heard. Well, yeah, it is weird. But oftentimes they write line one. We'll call that A line because A is first in the alphabet. And then their second line is called the B line. And oftentimes it mirrors the top line. And sometimes that line can further understand. Sometimes it can be in contrast of that line to give you further understanding of what the author is getting at. Well, we see this in these first three verses beautifully done. 
Because in the first verse, I will bless the Lord at all times. The second one mirrors it thematically, and it tells you kind of how he's going to do it. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Not in my mouth just there, but mouth by the means of, of, of indicating speech, by talking, by spewing out his praise, not my praise. But his praise, so how is it that he's going to acknowledge the Lord at all times? He is going to praise him continually. See, and David is being strategic in in writing this poem. It's not some neurotic guy just trying to write out stuff. But he's saying the means by which I will bless the Lord is that his praise shall continually be in my mouth, in my speech. Man, as if verse 1 is not good enough, we come to verse 2. And here the psalmist says, my soul, now we're moving inwardly, right? Now, Now we're getting really thorough in this praise. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Now, interestingly enough, we actually, in the, in the original, in the Lord is fronted in the sentence. When you come to this text and you see it, you actually see the Lord first. So we really could translate it. Now, it's completely acceptable to say, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. We get the point. But you actually could say, in the Lord. Dramatic pause. My soul makes its boast. And this is a deviation between typical word order. So we can let that jump off the page a little bit and say, in case you missed it, the poem is about the Lord. In case you're not getting it, there's a singular focus, and it's it's the Lord. What's most interesting is that in these three verses... The Lord repeatedly shows up three times, and it's always in kind of the first line. We see the Lord there in the first line of every one of these verses, almost just screaming, it's about the Lord. Throughout the whole entire poem, the Lord shows up 16 times. Make no mistake about it. It is about the Lord. My soul Everything about me, to my fingertips, to my eyebrows, to my toenails, to my kneecaps, to the weird skin on the end of my elbow, to the funny bone. Well, I don't know why we have that, but we got it. Every part of me will be directed towards him. And this this is this is staggering. Let the humble. Here Now, humble doesn't land quite, quite well with us because this actually kind of means the poor, the oppressed, the afflicted, those that are hurting. Let them hear a, a very strong desire that David has here. Let them hear and be glad. Now, now <laughs> that's interesting to me. Because there seems to be a sense that when praise and attention is pushed to the Lord, others will inevitably be encouraged. Really? 
I mean, there is no stronger evangelism than an individual who boasts of the Lord. Because that individual has drawn others to a Savior, not a method. See, hear and be glad are very strong desires of David. Almost he's commanding it to happen. And the reason that they're very strong is because he knows that the Lord is effective. Their hearing can result in rejoicing. So we almost could say, let the humble, poor, oppressed, afflicted hear so that they can rejoice. You mean to tell me, church, that if we as individuals will make this our resolve, That those around us could see that and be encouraged? Yes. You see, there's no stronger evangelism than the individual who boasts of the Lord because you have drawn their attention to whom? The Savior. You've drawn them to the Lord. And that, my friends, is effective. That, my friends, is what the church and us as believers need to be doing. Verse 3. I can't pick my favorite. I was going to say my favorite, but they're all my favorite. And and, uh, notice the progression here, right? I'm going to praise. I'm going to say it. Now my soul, the inner being of who I am... Is going to do it. And then the, the great call of the church. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Magnify. Actually, literally make great. And this is also an imperative. It's also a command. David invites all listening to join in on focusing on the Lord. To expand others thinking about the Lord. See, individual praise inevitably turns into corporate praise. Individual praise should always lead towards corporate praise. And church, we should be about that. Once again, we see this kind of perfect mirror between line one and line two, right? Even down to each word is strategically placed above and below each other. Magnify, the second line, exalt. The Lord, the second line, His name. Who's doing it? With me, together, reiterating. That corporate praise should result out of individual praise. And this is interesting because when you see the comparison to the Lord, you get this phrase, His name. And just an interesting thought for you. When you're reading the Old Testament and you see the word Lord and it's all caps like that, there's a reason why they do that. It's because they had a specific name, and you've heard it before, called Yahweh. And here David is brilliantly highlighting that this Lord is no other Lord. This is not just some flippant small little God that you think can work. No, this is Yahweh. This is His name. Make no mistake about it. I don't want you to miss it. What I'm saying is I'm distinguishing Yahweh the Lord from all other 
God, His name. Once again, the emphasis falls on the Lord. He is the one whom we are to focus on and direct our adoration towards. Beautifully laid out. I mean, and what a great commitment in any relationship you find yourself. I mean, right? Think about it. Is this not what we should be asking of each other? Not, I mean, it would be a little awkward to, hey, what's your name? Oh, would you magnify the Lord with me? Would you just all this name together? But think about it. Is this not a, a great purpose for relationships, for friendships? Even though I just recently lost my wedding ring, inside that wedding ring, I have Psalms 34.3 inscribed in it. Not the whole text, just the reference. Because when I sat in front of my wife and I got on bending knee, what I was asking of her was to join with me in making great the name of God. Let us exalt His name together. And if we do not, then let's not join in holy matrimony. Is this not the defining feature of our relationships? This should almost be membership. What you're asking, what you're doing when you join in to say, Oh, would you magnify the Lord with us? Because if we magnify church on meal, we doom Tempe, Arizona. We condemn our friends around us. But if we would magnify the Lord in His name, well, they might be encouraged. They might, they, they might be changed. What a beautiful way to describe a relationship. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. All the beginning, as David jumps out of this event in his life, it's all about focus, attention, acknowledgement, praise towards Yahweh the Lord. I mean, isn't that the first great response of the church? And David says, well, I won't leave you hanging. I'll give you more grounds to which why I say you should praise Yahweh. Well, verses 4 through 7, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. You do not need to be ashamed to seek the Lord. This poor man, David saying, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David sought the Lord and he answered. Not a small seeking, but a determination of seeking out the Lord. And David makes it simple. I sought the Lord and he answered. Now I know in a room this size and a reflection over 365 days of your life, you will say, I sought the Lord and he did not answer. Therefore, I'm exempt. 
Oh, David, it's so easy to praise the Lord because you acted like a fool when it worked. Well, you naysayer, you spend any amount of time in the Psalms and you will find what we call lament Psalms, where David pours his heart out, language that you go, ooh, can he say that? Case in point, you don't have to turn there, but just listen, Psalms 13. How long, O Lord and Yahweh, the, the, the big guy, the, the one we're talking about, the one distinguished, Yahweh, the Lord, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? We, we, right? But we've been there. We felt that. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How many times have I read this? A million. Consider and answer me. Oh, Lord, my God, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. It's good language. You should get poetry in your life. Lest my enemies say, he's going to like challenge you, Lord, I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. Four verses. Things aren't going so well for old King David here. But the last two. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You see, at the end of the day, David says, You've saved me. That's enough. How much do you, sitting in that seat right now, understand language like salvation? (laughs) If you are his and he is yours, you you can rejoice. The last verse, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So this seems to work even when David thinks things aren't going well. You see, what's what's even more interesting about this particular text is in the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1, in Mary's song or Magnificent, however you want to look at it, when she's told of what's about to happen, that you're about to be with child, and ostracized for a while, and your life totally flipped upside down. We see the language of the first three verses show up in her song. Here's what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. At the end of the day, If you know that Savior, you can rejoice. You can praise. At the moment that salvation was coming through Mary, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My world is flipped upside down, and this is going to be hard, but my soul magnifies the Lord. Church, please hear me. You always have a reason to rejoice. If you claim Christ as your Savior, you always have a reason to rejoice. Because no circumstance, no person, 
No financial burden can rip that out of your head. And then we get to the great challenge and command of the text. Verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, and this is towards man, right? So blessed, happy is the man who takes refuge in him. We're not happy because we don't take refuge in him. We're miserable because we don't take refuge in him. The great challenge command of the poem culminates here in verse 8. And yes, taste is yet another imperative, another command. He's almost saying, I dare you. I dare you to taste. And taste is is a nice imagery for us, right? We're Americans. We love to eat. And we understand a tasty meal. But looking at a steak dinner is not near as good as eating a steak dinner. Taste. You feel it in there? Taste. Taste, I dare you, taste. Looking at it is far different than tasting it. If you've raised little kids, you understand how difficult it is to make them eat. It's hard. My daughter inevitably will sit in front of a meal she's never had before and say, I don't like it. (laughs) Well, that's impeccable logic. Because you've never tasted it. How do you know you don't? And, and so many times, she'll actually eat, and she goes, oh, it's wonderful. I love it. You see, you can't learn to appreciate something until you've tasted it. I was thinking about this command and this challenge as the climax, going, really, a, a taste and see? Driving here this morning, coming down Mill Avenue from, from 60, I'm driving down the road, headed this way, and there's an, an angry man. On the sidewalk. I had my radio off. Somewhat so I could hear him in my car. And it made me kind of look around. thinking, what in the world is going on? Like, am I going to get bum rushed here, you know? And and I look over. And I look at my rearview mirror. And there's a guy who is angry. So much so that his anger and his frustration and the flailing around that he's doing pushes him out into the road every once in a while from the sidewalk. And luckily there were no vehicles coming at that time. But I said in that moment, I said, how how does that work for him? Walk up to him, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Shut up, you know, I don't know what I would get from him. But it works, right? Because apparently what he's tasting right now is bitter. And apparently what he's feasting on, what he's chewing on, is not working. So much so that he would put himself at the side of the road in danger and flail himself into traffic. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And isn't that the appropriate place to be that most of us got to that we says, okay, there's got to be something different <laughs> And there came the sweet Savior, a tasty God. That's weird. A satisfying God. Yahweh the Lord showed up in the face of Jesus and redeemed us. Oh, I think it works for him. 
And I think it works for us. So I dare you. I, dare, I double dog dare you. Watching the Christmas story over, over these holidays. I double dog dare you to resolve in 2015 to place all your trust, affection, hopes, dreams, everything on the Lord. I dare you. Might it be possible to sum up all of life's pursuits into one great pursuit? The Lord himself. Isn't that what we see constantly throughout the Psalms in particular? Just listen to this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Psalm 42.1 O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, Psalm 63, 1. And in a summary fashion, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, Psalm 27, 4. This seems to be the repeated action. Of the book of Psalms. Yahweh. The Lord. Well how might this look for us in 2015? Well. The best way I know to put it is this way. All my resolutions. And and maybe I should change that to everything I do. Must lead to a greater intimacy with the Lord. A deeper love for Christ. And an absolute dependence on the Spirit. See that Trinitarian work there? Good stuff, huh? I mean, really, right? All my dealings, all that I do, it must lead to a greater intimacy with the Lord, right? Because that's the resolution that trumps all resolutions. It must develop a deeper love and appreciation for Christ and an absolute dependence on the Spirit. We don't know the Spirit because we don't live in a way to which we need to depend on it. Have you ever been around those people when they talk about these like crazy things that they've done? Because they walk in a fashion that they say, man, I'm giving everything. And they end up on this absolute dependence on the Spirit. So maybe for you, 2015, I want to run a marathon. That's good. You should do it. It's fun. Just don't break your foot. I'm losing them. I'm losing them. Okay, back. Okay, so you want to run a marathon, right? That's good. That's good. That's healthy. That's good. Do you know the amount of training that it takes to run a marathon? Do you know the amount of time you'll log in by yourself doing this? Maybe some of you doing this. (laughs) Do you realize the sheer amount of time you'll be by yourself to think? Why can't you read a section of scripture and then take off? You just let that thing fester. It, it just tastes. Like, like treat it like a, a plate and you're just like, yeah. Because some of those long runs that it'll call you to do, and some, some of your training plans call you to do it on Sunday. Don't do it Sunday. Be here. Do your long run Saturday. You can do that. Because also that can get in the way of the ultimate resolution, right? But it can actually feed the ultimate resolution. 
For me, and I'm going to expose myself here a little bit, but I want to, I, I even feel nerdy saying this, but I want to read more like cl- old classic literature. Weird, I know. Because I'm from Tennessee and we barely know how to read. So, <laughs> therefore is the reason why I need to read, right? So I, I'm kind of like, well, I want to read because I have, in, in our job of communicating about a great God, I want I want to be able to evoke imagery. I want to use language in a way that will exalt the goodness of God. And there's people out there who are really good at writing and imagery. So why would I not pour myself into that and become better at it myself? You see, it's not just about, so I can say I read that stuff, but it is about trying to help me be a better communicator of our God. So therefore, we could create an intimacy for the Lord, a deeper love and affection for Christ and others, and an absolute dependence on the Spirit. May 2015 be the most intimate year you've ever had with our Lord. We will be available afterwards to pray, to talk, to celebrate. Let's pray. Father God, you are great. You are beyond imagination. You you are beyond uh, what I can really even comprehend. Uh, But you're great. Oh, man, my confidence lies in you, not in me. And so the charge to taste and see is effective because, uh, Lord, we will be tasting something great, and that's you. So help us as a church, as an individual, to resolve today to make our life, our soul, everything about us, Lord, make it yours. So, Father, see your name we pray. Amen. Would you join me in thanking Brian for sharing this morning?